Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by Dr. Elizabeth Lombardo. And before I introduce her and, and say hi, I want to tell you how we met. I was at a Vistage International Leadership Conference, I guess just a few weeks ago, It actually maybe a month ago, I don't know, time flies. But she gave an amazing keynote talk to everybody that was there. There's about a thousand people. And these were all C-level executives from companies all over the Bay Area. And just to let you know, and maybe we'll get back into it, during your presentation, I was sitting there getting a text message from a colleague of mine, and he was not in a good place, and I don't think I was in a good place that day. So everything that you were sharing with me just really resonated. I felt like you were almost talking to me at that time, and um, it was really meaningful, and I reached out to you, as you know, afterwards and said, I would love to have you on the podcast, and we'll dig into that in just a little bit. But Dr. E, thank you for joining me. How are you? Thank you for inviting me, and I am exceptionally well. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, for all of you listening, I hope you find a quiet place. I know some of you walk your dogs, some of you ride your bikes, some of you are commuting right now, but take a quiet place. You're in for a treat with this podcast because as you know, most of the episodes I do are on the methods and technologies of driving growth. But every once in a while, I like to invite a guest onto the program, someone like Dr. E, who can help us be better people and help us be more successful. And I don't think there's anyone that I've had on the podcast to date that is going to prepare you uh, for this great conversation. I almost feel like it's going to be a little therapy session for you and I that people get to, <laughs> to listen to. A little bit more context. So about me, when I joined Vistage, the association that you spoke at, I joined about seven years ago. And one of the things they do with every executive that joins is they ask us basically for a theme, for a word or something to put on our name tag so that every member, when we have our meetings of about 14 people, knows a little bit about each other. And do you know what mine says, Elizabeth? And I've never shared this with you. It says, I seek happiness. Oh. Can you imagine that? Well, what a we're coincidence. we're in the right place. Aren't we? And not only that, she, she, can see, she can see my phone. You guys can't see my phone. But I wanted to take a picture. And can you see that right there on my phone? Nice. I can. Okay. That is in my bathroom. I took it this morning for you. And it says, happiness is not a destination. It is a way of life. And I think the reason that I have things in my house that remind me of happiness and have it as a theme on my name tag, it is, it is certainly something I seek, but I know it is something that so many people seek, and you are an expert on this topic. Um, for those of you who don't know Dr. Lombardo, she likes to go by Dr. E, so if you hear me mix it up, that is why. She has been a featured guest expert speaker all over the world. Uh, you may have seen her work, if you know her, on the Today Show or even Dr. Oz or the Steve Harvey Show. She's been on Fox, Good Morning America, CNN, and has shared her advice in publications like the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fast Company, Success, and just countless other magazines. I could go on and on. She is an expert in her field. You'll learn about her passions for helping people become happy. And she does executive coaching uh, for celebrities that and, and high net worth individuals. Many of you know people like Shaquille O'Neal. So it's a great honor to have you on the program. 
And the reason I wanted to have you on the program is, again, what you shared really resonated with me, and I know it resonates with everyone, your three Ps. And uh, I was telling you about the four Ps of marketing. We'll get into that. So again, thank you for, for joining me. Can you can you share, like, how did this all come about? How did you end up being a life coach and, and being a speaker on, on happiness and, and topics related to happiness? Yeah. So I, uh, when I first got out of college, I went and got a degree in physical therapy. I was a practicing physical therapist and had, um, had an interaction with a one-legged man. Uh, unfortunately, amp- uh, people with amputations were not uncommon in the physical ch- therapy gym. And this gentleman had just had a surgical amputation because of diabetic complications. He was brought down to the PT gym and it was my job to get him to walk again and learn how to use this prosthetic device and woo, it's going to be great. And uh, he, he wanted nothing to do with me. And he yelled at me and he said, just leave me alone. So I, I had to go up back up to his room. And it was a little bit later that we were doing rounds with the doctors and the nurses and the therapists all talking about each patient. And everyone agreed that this gentleman was, was depressed. That made sense. But what made, didn't make sense to me was the next statement. The surgeon who had literally cut his leg off said, I'm going to prescribe him Prozac. And I remember thinking, uh, we just cut his leg off. Like Maybe someone should talk to him about you know, processing this. And, and I was completely ill-equipped to do that. But it was almost like the heavens opened up and, and informed me. Elizabeth, this is what you're supposed to do. So, um, and, you know, of course, not all of us deal with amputations in our life, but we all deal with loss. We all deal with disappointment. We all deal with, um, you know, life throwing is something that we didn't necessarily expect. And learning for myself and then to help others how to best deal with that was was my goal. So I went back to school. Um, It was my first semester getting my PhD. And I distinctly remember taking notes from my professor, like madly taking notes because everything he said was so fascinating to me. And then it hit me. Why do I have to get a PhD to learn this stuff? Everyone, in my opinion, should have this information. You know, how your brain works, not like in the, you know, minute ways, but basic ideas. How does your brain work? How does it control you? How can you control your thoughts And, and all of that? So I wanted to share that with the world. Um, after I got my degree, I actually I was doing my postdoctoral training at um, in Dallas at UT Southwestern, which is a big trauma center. It's where Kennedy was brought after he was shot. And I had another, I say my life was changed by men who lost their appendages. But I had another patient. Um, I got a consult for this gentleman. He was an electrician. He was uh, 37 years old, and he it said status post bilateral upper extremity amputation. Both of his arms had been amputated. He was an electrician who was supposed to be working on a wire, or he was working on a wire that was supposed to be inactive, but it was quite active. Huge bolt of current went through both of his arms wow. and burned him so severely that his wife was given the choice that either they amputate his arms or he would definitely die. Um, and I distinctly remember standing at his door at the, in the hospital and, you know, about ready to knock and thinking, what am I going to do with this guy? Right. I mean, he has no arms. They're not going to grow back. Right. He's obviously helpless. He's obviously hopeless. He's obviously depressed. How am I going to help him? Which side note, not necessarily what you want your shrink to be thinking, but that's, you know, Mm -hmm. I was young in my career. This is where I was. (laughs) And I knocked on the door. I hear a muffled come in. I open the door and there he is with a huge smile on his face. And my first reaction was, oh, my gosh, he's delusional. He doesn't know he lost his arm. Um, but he wasn't delusional. He was happy. <laughs> he wasn't happy that he lost his arms. He was happy about his life and in his perspective, though, that he was still here on this earth for a very special reason. He didn't know what it was, 
but the way that he interpreted his lack of dying was I'm here for a very special reason. And because of that, he felt very happy. And I remember thinking, <laughs> I, I have both my arms, right? I'm getting my degree. I got a great husband. Like, well, my life's pretty good. I, but I wanted to be that happy. Yeah. And so I started this quest of uh, really scouring the research. That's when positive psychology started taking taking root and scouring the research and working with myself, working with my clients and really figuring out, you know, how, how can we be happy? I mean, we've all heard this notion. It's an inside job. I just had a conversation with someone and when I'm doing interviews, a lot of times people will say, well, I think, I think happiness is a choice, but really it's a choice that is also, it's a skill, right? You have to choose to be happy, but you also have to actually know how to be happy because as a society, we kind of practice happiness a lot of times in the wrong ways. We think you know, more money, more, I don't know, um, you know, a better car, a better job, that's going to make us happier. More shoes, that actually does make us happier, just, just <laughs> in my opinion. But, but everything else doesn't make us happier. Um, and there are specific skills, there are specific, um, you know, well-researched, documented skills of how we can be happier. And my goal not, it's, it's a small one, but my goal is to help the world learn these because we know that happiness is the precursor to really everything we want in life, yeah. right? So if people say they, they want to be healthier, when you are happier, you actually live eight to 10 years longer. Um, when you're happier, you're less likely to have chronic pain. When you're happier, you actually make more money. Uh, when you yourself are happier, you tend to have a happier relationship, and so happiness is the precursor. It's not the result. It's not the destination. As you said, it's the precursor so that not only are you happier, but then anything else you want to create is much more likely to happen. The reason I have it on the wall about it not being the destination and actually being the journey uh, is because it, it's just something that I struggle with myself. I mean, I've had people say to me, many people say to me, Dave, do you feel successful? And then I always ask them, like, why, why do you ask that question? They said, well you know, you, you're really driven and you push yourself really, really hard and you work really hard. Do you ever take time to recognize the success that you've had? And I said, yes, I, I do. And then I, then comes the, but is that, you know, I have this purpose and I have this mission in life of things that I want to do, not only as a husband and as a father, but certainly in my career. And I think I feel this feeling all the time that I've, I've not achieved yet what I want to achieve. And I've said before, like, I feel like life is this big theme park and I want to ride all the rides as many times as I can because I don't know when the theme park closes. So a lot of what drives me is this fear of not achieving everything that I want to. And so when I talk about happiness, like wanting to be happy and being the journey, not the destination. It's a reminder to myself, and and you probably understand the psychology of this. But I remember a talk one time that I was in, wonderful speaker, and he said, "There's he he categorized them as two uh, different types of people. There are people that are goal oriented, and that are people that are direction oriented. And he talked about goal oriented people that." are always setting a bar for themselves or an achievement for themselves. And then when they achieve that, they have to set the next goal to have something to try to go attain. And when you just talked about the psychology of people, they, they said like, do you know in the Olympics when there's a gold medalist and a silver medalist and a bronze medalist, who struggles the most? And he shared that it's the silver medalist because the silver medalist didn't get the gold barely by sometimes hundreds of a second. And 
they're struggling. Now the gold medalists just achieved their life goal. And now that they have the gold medal, they actually show the psychology of them walking off the stage and their shoulders down and their head slumped and like, oh my God, now what's next? But the now third, what? Yeah. yeah. But the third place bronze, I'm just happy to be here on the stage. I mean yeah. I, <laughs> it's like I made it. I made it. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question. Yeah. I know I'm not the interviewer, but this 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 uh, park that you were at with all the rides that you want to get on before before it closes. Yeah. Do you enjoy the rides while you're on them? I I want to say yes. I I'd, I'd have to reflect. I mean, maybe sometimes not enough. Maybe sometimes not enough. Maybe I'm uh, I'm mentally distracted while the metaphorical ride is taking place. And, and not as present as I, as I want to be. Sometimes I am and I really enjoy it. I mean, my family experiences and time with them, especially over the years as my kids have gotten older, like I really soak all that in. We went to Disney World last year and we went to um, the new Avatar ride in Disney World and we waited, ready, four hours in line. And most people would say like, oh my God, how could you wait four hours in line for a ride. But you know what? We had the greatest talk and time together as a family. It was like four hours of quality time. If you're thinking, oh my God, how much longer to get on the ride? It's one mindset, but it's like, here we are all together and I hadn't seen my sister and my nieces and my family. And it was actually a wonderful four hours together, capped off by a great ride. So I think I could be better there, clearly, mm-hmm. Dr. E. I, 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 I can work on that. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're calling me out on that. Can I read you a text that I got literally yesterday that I want to um, unpack a little bit. Yeah. Let me get to it. I'll keep the person anonymous, but I'll just let you know that a lot of people reach out to me for career coaching and advice. And clearly this person um, was having a rough day. And they said to me, hey there, got a minute? I need to vent. And I'm, I'm reading this to you. Um, I don't know how I feel about my work. I feel depressed. I feel like it's depressing. I feel like I spend my whole day hurrying to get shit done so the day will go by quicker just so I can go home. And it doesn't seem like a good way to live. I don't like the feeling of waiting for the weekend and waiting for time to go by. I don't want to feel like my life was all about waiting. And I'm feeling kind of sad. And I said, you know, how can I help? And the conversation went on to a little bit about, I think it's time for a career change to do something else, that the work that they were doing is not satisfying and fulfilling. It once was, but it no longer uh, no longer is. And I candidly reached a point where I'm like, like I'm such a fix-it guy. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a guy thing, but I'm just like- You're a guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just quit, that guy. quit, yeah. go get a new job, <laughs> you know, quit, find something else. But no, I didn't go there, but I, I wanted to be helpful in knowing that this conversation was coming up today, I said, hey, can we touch base sometime later tomorrow? Because I thought I would read that to you. And how would you approach that? What would you say to someone who, you know, they enjoy working in in marketing, they're in the field of marketing, and they enjoy marketing technology and and creative, but they're in a role uh, or in an environment where they're clearly not happy, looking forward to the end of the day or, or the weekend. And I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so there are two strategies. When we are in a situation or experiencing something that we don't want, there are two main strategies. One is problem focused, changing the problem. That's what you were saying. Get a new job. That's what you were thinking. Get a new job, right? Which, you know, maybe change departments in your company. So there's problem focused. And then there's also this whole other strategy that a lot of people miss, which is emotion focused. Emotion focused means change your emotional reaction to it. So in this situation, if we are going to talk about emotion focus, 
if I were working with this individual, I'd say, well, what does bring you meaning? What does bring you purpose? And a lot of times it's not so much, it, it can be the job, but when you change your perspective on the job, when you realize, for example, so you talked about the three P's, so I'm just going to bring them right up. Three P's are this, this true success formula that I've created and it's passion, which is positive energy, even during tough times. It's purpose, which your meaning in life and it's people optimizing those relationships. So if we take that in terms of this strategy of emotion focus, um, it started, we can even start with the purpose. What is your purpose? What are the values that are most important to you? And once you identify those values, how can you apply them on a daily basis right now in your current job? That doesn't mean you're going to stay. It just means even if you get a new job in a week, you still have to be here for a week. So how can you apply the values, the core characteristics that are most important to you? People is another key one. How can you optimize your relationships with others at work? We know that when people have close relationships at work, uh, appropriately close relationships at work, um, that enhances employee engagement, enhances happiness, enhances productivity, and all that other good stuff. So I, I think looking at a solution in terms of both of those. So is it that you want to change a job? And or is it that you want to kind of change how you're feeling right now in this position? Great advice. Uh, you mentioned your three P's. So I want to go back to that. I, I told Dr. E, I said, you know, there's the four P's of marketing. When I went to school and got my degree in marketing, it was people, price, place, and promotion. We were drilled on the four P's. And by the way, there was no technology like there is back then. So I think like they would have added, you know, process and, and other things to these days. But um, you came up with the success formula uh, and and it, you said it was passion, people, and purpose. Um Let's go into that some more. So do people know their, their passion? Do they find their passion? You know, how do you advise people in terms of, of really centering in on that, that first P? Because I have a passion. It's why I started the company. And my passion, I'm really centered around making marketing heroes. It's why I started uh, the agency 13 years ago. I had spent my whole career working primarily in marketing, um, helping companies grow and, and, and found my recipe for success in terms of what to do to help drive growth. And I know that so many marketers had been feeling, and I certainly felt in my career, undervalued in organizations. We weren't mm-hmm. able to show our contribution as well to revenue or all the hard work that we were doing. And, and other departments uh, would get the spotlight, certainly sales, right? If the company was growing revenue-wise and sales was crushing their number, then the sales leaders and the sales organization, were, were they were on those... Um, these are on those podiums getting their medals, literally going to club and getting recognition and awards for it. And marketing never received any of that. And we're working our butts off. So when I found the recipe for success, when I knew how to apply technology and digital marketing to a business and really hone that skill, I'm like, I'm gonna go help other people with that and build an agency to do that. And so my passion, my North Star is making marketing heroes and the mission of our of our company. And it's one of the reasons I think I'm never satisfied like i'm never like okay done like because i'm not there yet i haven't i haven't made the impact on enough companies enough individuals and maybe at some point i reach that level of accomplishment where i can feel like okay um i've i've gotten there but every day i feel excited and rewarded and challenged by helping uh marketers so that's that's uh, is that my purpose is that my passion i don't know it's kind of to me it's it's a combination what what do you think in terms of people finding their passion and their purpose yeah, so I, w- I would say that's a combination. So the way that I define passion is positive energy. It's focusing on what's going well and being excited 
enthusiastic and empowered to make a positive change. So things are good and spirit of continuous improvement. Let's keep making them better. Um, and, and, and that's in contrast to what in psychology we call distress. Distress is kind of the pile of any feelings or emotions you don't want. Anger, frustration, hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness, guilt, shame, bleh, all that in that pile. There's something wrong with those emotions. They don't feel so good. And sometimes they can prevent us from moving forward. When we're in a state of passion, when we're in that state of enthusiasm and excitement, um, we're focusing, again, on what's going well, that state of gratitude, but also how can I keep making things better? And this is, this is so important because this mindset takes us from victim of what's going on because there's, there's lots going on, right? Who knows what's going to be happening with the economy? But how can you, despite what's going on in the world, to not be a victim of that, but to take power and be empowered to know that regardless of what's going on in the world, in your life, you can choose to focus on how to make it better. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about happiness. Um, I talk a lot about, you know, being happy even during tough times. And sometimes I think people look at me, especially if I'm on TV and had an hour of hair and makeup and they think, well, you know, come on, Elizabeth, what's, what's really going on in your life? And, you know, I, I think I shared when you heard me speaking, you know, personally, my family and I are going through a tough time right now. My husband, the love of my life, um, is um, he's traced, which means he has a hole in his neck. He's on a ventilator and a feeding tube. And he has been for two and a half years requiring 24 seven care. He hasn't worked in four years. He's been home completely disabled. I mean, you, he the nurse transfers him from a chair to the wheelchair and he's a ragdoll. He can do nothing. And so I share that because it's important to, I can't, you know, I, I'm trying to help him with that problem focus, but so much of what we're dealing with now because his health is declining and statistically he won't be here too much longer on this earth. I can still change my mindset. I can still be in a state of passion, excitement, gratitude for what I have right now, even with what's going on. Um, and so hopefully listeners out there aren't going through what I'm going through, what my family's going through, but we all deal with stuff, right? Yeah. Stuff is constantly thrown at us yeah. that over which we don't necessarily have control. When we really live in a place of passion, we say, okay, I, 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 I'm sad about what's going on. I'm frustrated, whatever that emotion is. And here's what I choose to focus on. I choose to focus on being empowered. I choose to focus on appreciating every moment I have. I choose to focus on being present here and now. And not only is that nice, does it make me feel better, but the research overwhelmingly shows that when we have that mindset, that mindset of, of resiliency and grit, um, and that growth mindset, kind of that hot, hot word right now, but that's exactly what it is, is that growth mindset, then we're much more productive and effective, whatever we do with our, our lives, whether it's our work, our family, you know, taking care of our household, whatever it is. So that's what passion is. It's that excitement. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't want to go back to it. But I, I remembered sitting, uh, again, there was like a thousand of us in the room and I'm sitting at this table with about eight people and you're on stage and you have this incredible energy. And by the way, I'm just sidebar, if any of you, and I know a lot of you are planning your sales kickoff meetings and company meetings, you know, it's the end of the year, approaching 2020. If you need an amazing keynote speaker, someone to come in and take your team uh, up to the next level, I highly recommend you reach out to Dr. Elizabeth Lombardo. I will give you her contact information again at the end of the podcast. But like I said, I was sitting there having a very down day. I was having some, I'm going to call it conflict. We'll come back to it with an individual. 
And, and you really, I mean, I left that session, I went in the other room and I called him and had a great conversation, literally from the word, I mean, talk about taking action from a conference. You gave me the tool sets for me to go in the other room, make a phone call and work on what we were struggling on, which, which I might come back to. But the point I want to make is I'm sitting there and I'm like, she has so much energy. It's the morning. And look at this room light <laughs> and up. And don't drink coffee. <laughs> and you don't. Wow. Uh, and then you shared that and everybody like, you saw them go, oh, wow. She is like us. She's not this beacon of light and hope and nothing ever bad ever happens to her. Um, she's a human being just like all of us and has her ups and down days. And so thank you for sharing that again. And I'm sorry for you because I know the caregivers and families, it's, it's tough to struggle. I have family members with chronic health conditions myself and it's, it's tough. And I'm glad you brought that up. There was a post I did on LinkedIn. It was the anniversary of Steve Jobs' death. Steve was very inspirational to me and whether you like him or not, he's, he's forever changed the world and one of the greatest leaders uh, of our time. And during uh, that anniversary week, I posted a video of his, which was around paraphrasing, once you realize that the world has been created by people no smarter than yourself, you realize you can do anything. And mm. there was a lot of positive engagement on but one individual wrote, yeah, that's what sex successful people always say. You know, until they live a life where something really tragic happens to them and they really, you know, fall from grace and suffer hard times, you know, they're, they're like not in touch with the reality. I'm like, that's such a victim mindset. Like, yeah. like you, I know people with missing limbs. I know people uh, that are struggling beyond words and they're happy. They define mm -hmm. their happiness, not by whether they have arms and legs. And I don't, I, I would never want to be in that position to try to find the happiness they have found. I mean, that is some real hardship, but it is, it is amazing. I want to talk about the people aspect because um, again, this, this call it conflict that I was having with this individual Neither one of us was intending to upset the other person or have conflict. And you shared some really good frameworks in your talk about understanding people's intentions. Can you, can you talk about that and kind of rewind that part of it? Because it was so impactful to me in terms of like, you know, is the person trying to be shitty to you or what's this really about? What's going on? And all of us, I mean, to give you a little bit about, uh, you know, my community, the demand gen radio community. People listening to this podcast, for the most part, work in marketing and they work in sales. And those two teams are like cats and dogs or like the mm -hmm. offense and defense of a football team. One team, but totally different mindset and culture. And it's like bash, bash, bash. Marketing walks down the hall and goes, hey, sales, what do you think of that campaign? And they say, yeah, all those leads suck. They're like, great. And then says to sales, well, you don't follow up on any of the leads. And it's like bash, bash, bash but they're trying to both grow the company. So can you share some perspective on, on understanding people when you're having conflict and how to have critical conversations and, and talk with each other and, and get to a healthier place? Yeah, yeah. So I, I shared the over-under principle, uh, which has nothing to do with betting. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a principle that I've created after working with people for 20 years. And it actually started when I would work with couples. So I do executive coaching now, but I started off as a therapist and, and oftentimes people would come in for couples counseling and I meet with, let's say the husband in one session, the wife with another, and then we meet you know, the, the three of us. And it was, it was fascinating to me because each individual would, would come in and within the couple, they talk about the same event. I don't know, you know, a specific event about money or vacation or 
specific, specifically something that happened with their child. And each person would give their perspective. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, definitely makes sense. And then I'd hear the other perspective that was the exact opposite. And I'd think, oh, that makes sense. And so I created this principle, the over-under principle, to better understand how uh, both people can be, quote, right. And the over-under principle goes like this. For every overt or outward behavior, for whatever people say or do, regardless of how egregious it is, the underlying motivation is 99.999993% positive. That is a statistic that I've created just in my mind, but it's pretty much something like that. So for everything over behavior that people do or say, there is a positive underlying motivation in their mind. So if you think about a time when you upset someone else, maybe it's your partner, maybe it's your child, maybe it's a colleague, maybe it's if you're in sales, it was marketing. If you're in marketing, it was a salesperson. If you think about a time when you upset someone else, usually we focus on our own underlying motivation. I didn't mean to be rude. I just wanted to communicate or, um, I don't know, give, give me an example, David, of a time when you did something that you're willing to share that upset someone else. How, how, how much time do we have on the podcast? Um, <laughs> just choose one. <laughs> uh, time when I, yeah, because I, I know I hate, hate to drag my life into the conversation, but I, I there are times when she and I, it was, it was interesting just to overshare. And for, and for all those people who know my wife, they're going to be like, do you know that Dave talked about this on the podcast? Um, <laughs> I used to do this. We'll do some therapy after that. Yeah, perfect. Um, I used to do this thing where when we would get in arguments, I would pull out my phone and start making notes. And she's like, she thought I originally was like texting someone or distracted. And then she started to pick up like, what are you doing? What are you writing down? I'm like, you know, I've been spending the last couple of months, like whenever we get in an argument, just like writing down what is going on because we love each other incredibly. Like we're this very, very tight relationship, been together over 30 years. And I go, yeah, we have these stupid arguments and maybe that was the wrong way to say it. And so I'm trying to look for a pattern and see what it is. And I, and I figured out that whenever we were having an argument, it had to do with one of us feeling like we disappointed the other person. And I saw the pattern. And at first she was like, what are you making notes that if we ever get divorced, like you have a written record of everything that went on? I'm like, no, that is not what's going on. I said, I just want to understand what's, what's happening. So she would ask me, for example, to do something. Hey, um, I'm going to be out of town this weekend. Can you bang out the following things and get this done? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. And then she would leave for the weekend. And if I didn't write it down, because I'm a very list-oriented person, I would forget about it. And she would come back and she'd be like, you know, hey, I asked you to do this, but you know, you went and did this and you went and did this. We'd have this argument. I'd be like, does she not want me to spend time with my friends or spend time with the kids or do this? And so we would have this. And I would say like, I didn't do it, but I didn't intend not to do it. I just forgot it. And she goes, well, you didn't intend to do it either. And it was something that I asked you to do. So most of our conflict almost all of our conflict had to do with, with something in that, in that area. I think in work. Okay. So let's just take that. Let's take that. Let's okay. take that one example. Just right. to, because this, this is, I, I want to take it from theoretical over under principle to, oh, I got it. Okay. So um, she goes away. You say, yes, I'm going to do that stuff. Uh, she comes back. You haven't done it. You're focused on, well, doesn't she want me to have fun with my friends and hang out with the kids, right? That's your underlying motivation. The reason you didn't do it, you didn't write it down right? I'm list oriented. And you, you spend quality time with friends and family. I think we all can all agree that spending quality time with friends and family is a positive underlying motivation. 
When we engage in a behavior that upsets someone else, we focus on why we did it, our underlying motivation. However, the person who's witnessing your behavior, i.e. your wife, is focused on your overt behavior, what you did or in this case didn't do. And when we're focused on someone else's behavior, we make assumptions as to why they did it. And you just shared what you know, what, what she was thinking in terms of the list, you know, oh, is this a list in case we ever get a divorce? Or maybe, you know, she was thinking, oh, is it not that important to you? Am I not that important? I'm not that important to him. And that becomes your assumption. And no one can see me right now, except for David. But if you think about the over being uh, on one level and the motivation being on another, if someone's focused on their motivation, someone else is focused on their be- the behavior, you're not having the same conversation. Mm-hmm. You're taught you're focusing on two different things. And it is human nature to want to be heard. In fact, we will keep in our mind our arguments until the other person acknowledges it. Oh my God, that is so profound. Like that is I I have to resolve things. I'm like one of those resu- resolution mindsets. And so yeah, that argument stays with me and that conflict Completely. stays with me until there's some resolution. Some people can like, I know my son-in-law now, I watch my son-in-law and my daughter. He can seems to sort it out in his head, but she's like me and she wants to talk about it. So do you, do you ever have to talk about it or can you resolve it just inside your head? I mean, it depends on the person. It depends on the meaning that they give to it. But I have a saying, someone cannot hear until they are heard so you know you can you can explain to her you know what's going on until but until you can address her and it goes both ways but until you can address the underlying motivation so for example she could say well didn't you know you didn't prioritize this this isn't important to you but what you're thinking is are you kidding you don't want me to hang out with our kids these are our children you don't want them to be us to be happy together so until you have been heard you cannot hear her in terms of here's a better approach of how to deal with that. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the work environment shift there. Uh, I gave uh, examples of the conflict that often happens between sales and marketing, but let's just talk about the employee and manager relationship. Um, we just had our leadership team meeting last week. And one of the things that we talked about is our coaching culture, right? In, in 2020, um, we don't like annual performance reviews. We think that is completely outdated, old school thinking. Like who wants to get a performance review one time a year and hear, hey, Dr. <laughs> e, you've been a phenomenal uh, speaker and, and your books are amazing and you should go do more of this and that one time a year. Why not when you come off stage, have a coaching culture and just say, that was incredible. You moved me in this way. This is what I really took away from that. And so we, we, we teach ourselves as managers to say, not just attaboy, like great job, fill in the employee's name, but why was it a great job? What does success look like? Hey, that was a really great job, Linnea, the way that you worked with uh, client A and on the call did the following things and did this, like break it down into what the behavior was. And we just had what the, uh, the Olympics, I'm sorry, the world championships, uh, in Germany. Right. And you can see the coaches take the, um, athlete around their shoulder as they're walking them off the stage. And you know that they're giving them some positive kudos, but they're also coaching of the next thing to do. And why is it in sports? Because I was a soccer coach for 14 years, women's soccer. My neighbors, um, who she was a single mom, I coached her daughters and then I coached my daughters. And like, 
you're expected to coach as a coach and it's encouraged and you look at their skills and abilities. But in the workplace, Dr. E, it's like so many managers don't know how to have coaching conversations and it's performance reviews and it's, and it's this way of talking to each other where you're almost afraid to tell an underperformer, hey, listen, that's not your best work. I've seen you capable of doing the following things like this and this and this, but today on the call, you did this. What's going on? Did you, how did you show up for that call and what do you think you could have done differently? Why are those conversations so difficult in the workplace, but maybe sometimes more natural somewhere else? Certainly in an environment where you're a coach, that, that's your title, that's your role on a soccer team, but mm-hmm. what, why at work? What do, you, what do you see there and advise your, your clients? Well, you know, the art of a difficult conversation is something that extremely strong leaders are are very well versed at, but a lot of people avoid it um, because they are concerned of how it will be taken. And if you want to use the over under principle in that particular arena, so you have it, you have a team member who's underperforming. The over behavior is they ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing. What's the underlying motivation? And a good coach, as you just said, instead of you know, assuming, oh, they're being lazy or they don't care about the job or I don't know, they're looking elsewhere. Instead of making that assumption, which is what a lot of people would do, a great coach will say, what's going on? What what were the ingredients that went into you not speaking up today or not performing up to your best? And a lot of times it's overwhelming stress. They got something going on at home. I didn't know what I was supposed to say. I was afraid of failure. I don't know what it is, but once you can understand that positive underlying motivation, then you can address it. Because if it's a figure of failure, great, let's help you work through that, right? If it's a, I, I've got stuff at home, you know, that's, that's keeping me sidetracked, great, how can we help you out with that? If it's, I'm overwhelmed with stress, great, how can we help you that, with that? It's really a proactive way to help people get to the next level as an entire team. Yeah, it takes training. It's some reason not as natural. Have you, have you ever heard of the crap sandwich? I don't know if they, they teach yeah. that, you know, the crap sandwich. The positive, yeah. the positive, the constructive, the positive. Yeah. I mean, that everybody can see through that. You have to, you have to really be good to hide the crap sandwich being delivered. Um, and the research shows it's not a two to one, it's a five to one. For every five, one, one quote negative is balanced off by five positives. Wow. Yeah. And that's really important in relationships, whether it's at work or in your personal relationship or your, you know, with your kids, your, your partner, whatever it is. So, you know, it's that feeling of the bank and, and not superficially like, oh, you're great, you're great, you're great. But really, like you said, you did a terrific job in that particular presentation. I noticed that you put in a lot of work for that talk and really helping people pull out the best in themselves because when you, they hear a compliment, they're more likely to do it again. And then they know you have their back so that when you then provide the feedback, it's going to feel like, wow, she or he just wants me to get better as opposed to they're always criticizing me. And when you have that positive, not positive, positive, it, 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 the, the end result is actually a negative as opposed to five to one. One thing that I didn't realize, uh, either because I just didn't get it intuitively or just didn't think about it, um, is that as my role evolved in uh companies when I became a vice president and uh, before that a director and now CEO, I didn't know that as you, let's call it move higher in the org chart, that your voice actually is that much more like, oh. So like, even more. Yeah, yep. there you go. So, so as a CEO now for almost 13 years, 
I would have people come to me and say, you know, hey, you know what you shared with so-and-so? Like that that was really hard for them to hear. hear. I go, well, I've, I've, I've shared that feedback with others before, but, but you're the CEO. Like you're telling that person you were, in so many words, disappointed with their performance. And like, that's a big blow to them. And I'm like, oh, so I'm just not the same person anymore. It's not like talking to a peer or a colleague when you say something, yeah. your voice carries so much more. And I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm always as conscious of it because I just like to be my authentic self. I just like to show up and look, I'm, I'm, I'm a high performance individual, so I don't mind feedback at all. Someone could say that's, uh, I, I, you know, this podcast, that Dave, that, that wasn't your best podcast or I didn't enjoy this or that talk that you gave. In fact, very many times when I go do, uh, talks, keynotes, what have you, workshops. In fact, every workshop I do, I give an evaluation form. And I can't wait to read those evaluation forms afterwards to, to look at not the praise, but what could I do better uh, the next time. Um, I want to come to a topic about our children. I think a lot of us certainly out there listening are not just thinking about how to be happier people ourselves and to be better teammates and, and understand people's intentions, but we're, we're, we're raising uh, people. And um, how, do you, how do you raise purpose-driven children? Uh, I, I see so many kids today and, and see a different dynamic at families, at dinners and that type of stuff. We didn't have electronic devices when I grew up uh, to be distraction devices. So we had, my mom was always big on the family dinner. We had family dinner every single night uh, growing up. And um, I know this is something that you advise and, and coach on and written books about. And I I'm, I'm, would love to go there for a little bit. Yeah, so I wrote a book called From Entitlement to Intention, Raising Purpose-Driven Children, which is exactly on uh, this topic. Um, yeah, the number one way to do it, and uh, sometimes people don't want to hear this because they say, well, uh, you know, Elizabeth is six, my kid. The number one way to do it is to be the best model you can be, to be purpose-driven yourself. Wow. When you make a mistake, say, wow. So, for example, if, my, if I, you know, lose it on my kids, instead of pretending like, well, I'm the parent, I can do that, I will say, hey, I just spoke to you in a really, sometimes not the second after, but, you know, maybe an hour later, I spoke to you in a disrespectful way. I apologize. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. I was frustrated and it's okay to be frustrated, but it's not okay to speak like that and own it up and own it. I am extremely purpose-driven. Everyone in my family is very purpose-driven because they, my husband and I model that for our children. What's important to them? How can you apply that in your life? And it doesn't have to be, you know, taking over your entire life, but one thing that's important contributing to causes greater than yourselves. What does that mean? What, what are you passionate about? Is it right now, my both my children, but my oldest is on a, a junior board for kiddos in our area who, um, who are homeless or who live in, in foster homes. And she's, we, that, that she's very purpose-driven on that. And when we have a purpose like that, when we contribute to a cause that is greater than ourselves, that other minutiae, isn't as important, right? So, you know, if, if, if she's concerned about having a pimple on her face, um, I remind her of what her purpose is, which is to help these kiddos who are living on the street and that pimple isn't so important anymore. Um, so so the, the short answer is to be purpose-driven ourselves, to be great role models. And when we mess up, because we are human, yeah. when we mess up <laughs> in whatever way, to own it. And that will also help in the workforce down the road to be able to own our mistakes, to be able to be open to providing ourselves feedback and also other people feedback. That's great. Great advice. I, I remember a conversation with Audrey. Audrey's my youngest. She's 21 now, but when she was, I think, around 14, um, we were, she's 
like sometimes when just just emotionally she hits a certain place, um, she can be very, very intense. And so we were having this discussion and I said to her, I go, Audrey, you're so upset right now. Like, you know, do you realize like how frustrated you are, how upset and the conversation we're having, what can I do uh, to help you feel better? She goes, I don't know, I'm 14 years old. You figure it out or something like that. I'm like, okay, that wasn't there. Uh, by the way, I learned several things over, over the years. Uh, one is that, like you said, you just have to listen sometimes. And having a wife and two daughters, I don't have any boys. It took me a long time, too long to realize, Dr. E, that sometimes all the role I need to do most times is just listen. Like I wish there was a little LED on, on my daughter's heads that was like, it's listen time. Like don't try to solve it. Don't fix it. Don't give me an advice. I don't want to hear anything from you. I just want to be shared. And I wonder how many times at work, whether it's men or women, that that's our role as managers or as teammates just to listen and not say, oh, you're unhappy with your job. You should quit. You know, that's just not what they wanted to hear. Oh, your friend's really shitty. Don't spend time with them. Right. Not, not right. a good place uh, to go. Um, inner critic can we touch on that we can and that, that that's actually a perfect segue because as i was hearing you talking about your daughter what i hear is this this concept of red zone and the red zone um if you think of your level of distress or any emotion you don't want going from zero which is not at all to 10 out of 10 if you're angry you're yelling if you're sad you're crying you know our distress is on a continuum um the higher up we are the more negatively we tend to see things and the less rational we are. So at the lower levels, we're using our frontal lobe, which allows us to engage in perspective taking, right? Uh, executive functioning. You can see everyone's perspective. You, you, you know that your friend's not being nice and yeah, they're not a good friend and that makes sense. The higher up we go on the distress scale, the more we focus on the negative, the more we use our limbic system. And so we don't actually process information rationally. Whether you have children or partners or teammates, this is a great skill to teach them. When you are at a 7 out of 10 or higher, do not let anything out of your mouth because that's <laughs> when we say things we regret. And don't put anything in your mouth because that's when we consume things we later regret. So stress really impacts how we think. Part of that is this inner critic. And one of my, one of my uh, big platforms is helping people crush your inner critic. We all have an inner voice that sometimes says mean things. You suck, you're in way over your head. Who do you think you are? You're a failure. And that inner critic can take over. And especially when we're in high levels of stress, it tends to speak even louder. Mm -hmm. The problem with our inner critic is very rarely do we stop and assess, what am I saying to myself and how helpful is it? So scientists estimate that we have 60,000 thoughts racing through our head every single day. Wow. 35,000 of them are negative. So that inner critic is speaking a lot, but very rarely are we aware that it's, it's our inner critic. And when I say like just our inner critic, it's most of our thoughts are not fact-based. The majority of our thoughts are perceptions. They're interpretations of a factual event. Someone says your presentation wasn't very strong. The interpretation is he hates me. She thinks I'm horrible. I should quit. I'm never going to amount to anything. And that downward spiral from the inner critic starts to ensue. It resonated with me. And I, and I, I'm so, uh, you know, it was your last slide of your presentation that enabled us to get together. And I want to thank you for that because you put your contact information up there and you said to all of us, 
reach out to me. I'd love to continue the conversation with you. And that's exactly what I did. I reached out to you on LinkedIn. I think you responded within a few hours. We talked about uh, the podcast and doing this together. And here we are. So thank you. I, I am... I could spend hours. I'm, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, you know, I, I could spend a lot more time with you. Again, to everybody, um, the conversation, the the keynote that Dr. E gave literally was so actionable that I left the room afterwards and resolved conflict that I was having with an individual, someone who I care immensely about. And it's a very important relation to me, work relationship. And we were struggling and we're now in a really great place and we were immediately there. Uh, to the point where he said, you know, I love you, man. And I said, I love you too. And, and, and we went on and, um, just imagine as all of you are planning, uh, your teams getting together, what Dr. E could maybe do for you. So I said, I would offer to you, her website is elizabethlombardo.com. It's with a Z. So it's E L I Z A B E T H elizabethlombardo.com L O M B A R D O.com. You can easily find her on LinkedIn as I did as well, and all over the internet on YouTube and many different sites. So thank you for joining me. I could go on forever. I feel like a little selfish in my, my own therapy session, but I think uh, what we are sharing just uh, I, I no doubt resonates with people. I want people to have better candid conversations with each other. I certainly want the world and, and all of us to be happy. There, there, it, it's, it should be a happy time in all of our lives. I don't, I don't like the victim mindset and we can accomplish anything that, that we want. So thank you for having this discussion with me. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it, to me, what's so exciting is, again, being able to share this information in a venue that isn't necessarily um, used to hearing it because these skills that we talk about will help you be better at work, will help you be you know, more productive, more effective, healthier, happier, and just really change the world. So I'm very, very grateful to you for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. Well, I loved your speaking style, especially the opening, which which I will leave. So in case anybody hi- hires you, and I hope they do, <laughs> they can experience <laughs> what, what, what we went through, which is great. But the frameworks and, and the content that you shared along with the talk track was was really impactful. So, so thank you. And to everybody listening in, I hope you did find that quiet place. I hope you were able to suck in this conversation to your head and maybe think about that inner critic and think about happiness and think about what you could be doing in terms of having better uh, conversations with yourself, with your team and certainly with your children. Um, Reach out to Dr. E. Thank you again. We'll all catch you on the next episode on Demand Gen Radio. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 